everybody and welcome to Headlights, the Daimler podcast that's all about who we are and what we do at Daimler, the cool jobs we have, but especially the interesting people who work here. We focus on digital connected vehicle and mobility services. We have two legs to our site. One is innovation, where we harvest the rich smart mobility ecosystem. We have over 500 uh, startups covering all areas of our case strategy. And then the second leg of our site is the leg of R&D where we focus on software development, big data architecture, and work around projects for user interactions, biometric authentication, and uh, keeping our vehicles safe. This is Adi Ofek. She is our CEO of our Mercedes-Benz R&D site in Tel Aviv, and we will talk with her about her job as a CEO, about leadership, about the development of her career, and of course, about some personal stuff as well. But first of all, we'll start the interview again with 3 times 30 a little game we play with all our interview partners. I ask Adi three questions and she has the maximum time of 30 seconds to answer them. What is special about your job? What drives you? We live in times of extraordinary change where mobility is being completely reshaped. For me, nothing can be more exciting than being in the middle of all of it, in an amazing company like we have at Daimler, being able to bring technologies that will make our products and services more intelligent and more intuitive for our customers. But doing that would not mean enough for me if I couldn't share it with the people around me. Team is everything, and we have amazing people working in our company. And we all have a shared purpose. First, move the world. That is very special for me. Okay, Adi, so second question. Uh -huh. Is there a thing you still desire? What's your biggest dream? <laughs> um, I would say making meaningful impact is something that is really burning in me. So, you know, Israel is a young company for us. And if I look into the future, I see a strong team of people that trust each other, like spending time with one another, strong, but also hungry to make a contribution. And when I look into the future, I see our footprint on our products and services. And I also, in general, I believe in uh, development and growth. I believe that when the people around you grow, the company grows and develops as well. Okay, perfect. And third question is, can you still remember what you wanted to be when you were six years oh, old? Yeah, I wanted to be a teacher. Oh, and you know, when I think about it, I think maybe it was, you know, conveying my messages and bringing across what I had to say to the world. I love kids uh, till today. And I think looking at the world uh, through the eyes of kids, you look at, kids look at life with very pure, clean eyes. We need clean perspectives as we go around our work today in a world that is so dynamic and changing all the time. So that was a good teaser. Now let's jump in in our conversation. The place around Tel Aviv mm -hmm. is called Silicon Valley, and it's right. a good place for new high technology startups. Can you tell me what kind of startups and companies can we find around here? Yeah. So. Israel has a very rich smart mobility ecosystem with over 500 uh, startups in this um, in the sphere, uh, focusing on all areas of our case strategy. So, you know, when we talk about autonomous vehicles, we have, you know, Mobileye, which was just recently bought by Intel. If we talk about shared mobility, we at Daimler invested in Via, which is a ride-sharing company. If we talk about connectivity, there's a startup called Ion Road. Uh, they were bought by Harman, and they provided some of our features for MBUX. Mm, okay. Then we have Stordot, for example, that also were, uh, have an investment by our truck colleagues, also on fast charging batteries. Israel is really big on uh, data, big data, data analytics, machine learning, um, and in general I would say Israelis always need to understand the big picture and to connect the dots and the use case uh, of the startup and how can it fit and support the strategy is something that is a strength of us as a country. Okay. Uh, an average Israel has one startup per 1,400 people. In Germany it's only around the half of it, in the UK it's a quarter. Is starting up a new business and developing things, is that part of the Israeli mentality too? Yeah, that's uh, something really special. We, I always say in the US you have the American dream and here you have the startup dream. And it's really, uh, it feels like that. Uh, uh, creating something from nothing 
is everything here. At the core of our culture, we have uh, a challenge and really finding the solution. The excitement around finding a solution for it um, is really, uh, yeah, makes us tick or make us drive us. And uh, our founding father, Shimon Peres, his last book was just released and it's called No Room for Small Dreams. Uh, which That's I love. It's mm -hmm. a, I think it's a really nice illustration of what we're all about. And it says in the book, uh, when you plan your future, the only way to do it is with a brave view into the opportunities that lie ahead. Meaning, you have to look ahead and you have to find solution. Israel is a country of immigrants. It's one of the largest melting pots in the world. Uh, most of the generation of our parents, they arrived here to Israel and they had nothing, uh, so they had nothing to lose. They only had what to gain. Okay. And then, you know, this very strong purpose in our culture of creation, uh, I think that's what's driving uh, our culture. I think also, you know, in our culture we have uh, elements of challenging everything, asking okay. tons of questions, <laughs> okay. understanding uh, the purpose. And that, all of this together really drives um, our, you know, mentality. Mm -hmm. creation. Oh, yeah. I see. So what you do is working a lot with startups, with young people. Mm -hmm. What is necessary to find the best people and the most promising startups? Yeah. So to find uh, the best people for our company, um, the first interesting fact is network. Mm -hmm. uh, the best way to find people is not through headhunters and not through job posting, but actually uh, employees that would bring their friends to work or people that I know from the network that know good people. Okay. And the reason for that, I think, is uh, there's a few reasons. So one of them I would say, you know, if they've worked together in the army or in another company or startup, they and they bonded and they can trust each other, then they would want to do that again. So, yes. and, and they really look for that. And the other part from an employer perspective, if one of our employees brings in one of his friends, they know their performance level, they know their values, and they know will they fit well to our company, yes or no. And uh, it reduces the unknown, uh, which is always very tricky uh, when you interview and when you screen for new positions. So that's the networking part. Then I would say, um, you know, they're, they're looking for a tech leader. They wouldn't just come to a place um, because, you know, it has a good brand like us. They would want to know who is the tech leader around here? Who can I learn from? Who can I grow with? What kind of challenges can I, uh, you know, face with that person mm -hmm. leading so it's, me? It's more about the leading person. So it's a, a lot, you know, but the technology leadership. So mm -hmm. what can I learn so that I can continue to develop, you know, uh -huh. from that perspective? And then something really critical critical for the recruitment process is um, what am I going to do? Will I be able to make an impact here? Um, and they really are very much focused on the purpose. Israelis are not very good in giving advices. They're good in, okay, uh, tell me what's the challenge and I want to be able to accomplish it. I want to do it. Uh, so really the doing and the ability to, to, to really create is, is very, very strong. Yeah. Um, one thing in the interviews which I found really funny, you know, at the beginning when I interviewed, I said, well, you're being interviewed for Mercedes-Benz, so I ask you questions. Mm -hmm. yeah. You better be happy about well, that. And you better be happy that you're even here. But it doesn't work this way. You, uh, they really, you know, each one of the top talents that we want usually have two to three offers on the table at the same point in time, and they need to choose. So I need to do marketing. Okay. I need to convince them okay. uh, what, it, what is it going to be like. And, you know, I told uh, our head of technology one day, I said, Guy, why, why don't we put up a great presentation, show, show what we're all about. He said, no, no, no. They would really perceive it the wrong way. They would think that we're trying to, you know, you know, have polished, uh, you know, uh, smoke around them, and mm -hmm. that's not what they want. They need to know the real details, the real technology that they're going to operate. What are they going to do? That's what's interesting for them. And what is it that they're looking for that you can uh, give them? And mm -hmm. they're looking for a great purpose and they're looking uh, for the ability to learn and grow. And these are very, very important things. And of course, they want to work within an environment that they um, appreciate, that's also, and they have the ability to choose. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, marketing that you also need to do to convince them. But I always believe in marketing that is done 
truly authentic, you know. Uh, I never sell what I don't have. So we need to show them what it is and sometimes they're like, okay, but this is Mercedes and it's in Germany. Um, how will they perceive us, you know? So they have those concerns. And we really have open conversations about the strength and about what, what, what are the challenges that we need to face together if we work together. Mm -hmm. So maybe we have some listeners, some new tech talent, some new mm -hmm. startups. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you tell them? How do you convince them to come to Mercedes-Benz? So um, I think, you know, when you look at Israel, in terms of uh, innovation centers, there's many in our, uh, in our uh, you know, um, automotive uh, industry. But when you talk about real R&D centers uh, on the premium luxury market, we're the only ones. And then there's GM, which has a very big R&D center here for already uh, many years. So I say, you know, if you want to make an impact in the most exciting area of smart mobility. Everyone wants to work in this uh, area right now, right? How many opportunities do you have in a small country like ours? And this is a huge opportunity. And when you look at our company, we're leading the sales, you look at our uh, innovation uh, on all the research papers that, you know, uh, external, and, and you can see, you can see what we're doing. You look at our leaders, and I always, use my own personal experience. You know, I'm here with a company 18 years. I'm born and raised in Israel, but I've lived away for nine years. And there was nothing more difficult for me to do in my life than to leave this country and go work abroad. Uh, because I really, really, I'm very connected to my family, to my friends. And it was really, really difficult for me to leave all of that. But after nine years abroad, you know, when I was thinking, okay, when I look at my career, Uh, going forward, there was no company back here. And I never considered leaving Daimler and coming back to my home country. For me, Daimler represents so much of who I am today. And I've learned and I've grown so much in the company. I trust the management so much. I look up to what we're doing and to the people that lead it. And I always say, you know, I can only share my own personal experience and it's been an amazing ride. And uh, so, you know, nothing speaks better than, you know, my love for Israel, yet, you know, uh, the fact that I was away. Of course, I was very lucky to be able to come back home and, and set up this company, but uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we touched it already briefly. Um, new talents may have concerns about working with Mercedes-Benz mm -hmm. as a part of the old industry. Mm -hmm. right. um, where do you see the main difference between the startups and, and Mercedes? Yeah, so of course, speed right <laughs> really <laughs> and the agility and you know but you you can't you know you can't blame us for not being fast because it's really you know we're, we're building cars and it's not you know it's not a it's not something you do uh you know in easily yeah yeah and it's not and it's complex and you need to consider many things and at the end of the day there are people in those vehicles mm -hmm. and we need to keep them safe so I think um, it makes it's natural for the startups to be fast and for us to be, you know, more let's say, take more time when we when we develop. Um, but I think you know I always say to the guys here, you know, working here in our team, right? So it's a small team, so you have kind of a startup feeling, mm -hmm. but in a big corporation. How many right? people are you? 16. So we're now 16. Mm -hmm. We'll grow to 25 in the okay. next six months. Um, so you give them a feeling of, yeah, we can be uh, agile here, uh, but still work as part of a large corporation. And the beauty that we bring to the table is really the speed and maybe you know, our view into things and how we think and how we look at the big picture. But you know, there's no second to our best or nothing mentality at, at Daimler, honestly. Uh, I would like to get to know more about your specific job. What does a CEO at MBRD in Tel Aviv mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do the whole day? Yeah. So I always say, you know, there is the assets of Israel. What are the assets of Israel? It's the technology, it's the talent pool, and it's the mindset. These are the assets. And then uh, in Germany, we have, um, you know, we have the need, we have the strategy, we have We need to bring the company and make it ready to be up to tomorrow. Um, so on one hand, it's really important to understand what is the current state, understand where do we want to go, understand what can we have to offer. And I see myself uh, or my role is to be a very effective bridge between those two. 
and making sure that I challenge uh, my team and we challenge the German team as well, but together uh, that we really leverage those assets that we in Israel have to offer. Um, at work, we also have, of course, a lot of business trips, um, you know, as an R&D site outside Germany. We have to really spend a lot of time with the colleagues in Germany, building trust, trust about your ability to deliver. Mm -hmm. Trust is about aligning capabilities. Um, and um, of course, you know, also, you know, being closer to each other. The last company survey, you know, uh, having a friend at work was one of the strongest points for us at Daimler. So I think that's also very important. So those trips are really necessary to bridge the gap and, and really make us closer and really create trust for relationship. And that is, doesn't take a day to build. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a typical day in the office you can describe to mm -hmm. us? Well, I would love to say yes, but no. But you don't, okay. <laughs> I would say a few things. First of all, I think R&D is a creation process and it changes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't been in R&D years ago and I am here today. And of course, the world around us changes all the time. And there's a lot of trial and error and you need to change your direction. So sometimes we work on a specific project, but we have checked something out and actually this is not the right direction and you need to change the direction. So within the project, there is movement, and the movement is the movement of creation. Uh, but also, you know, sometimes we're traveling, and sometimes we have visitors from Germany, and sometimes we have to also collaborate with startups. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, the, so it's not there is no typical uh, day. It's very diverse, which is great. It looks like that, yeah. yeah. Um, what are your main challenges in your job? So, you know. I remember before I moved in, I said, wow, we need to find great ideas. And that's what I thought the challenge would be. Mm -hmm. Now I know that the ideas are, is the absolute easy part of the job. Good ideas, we have a lot of. What we need to find is, um, is how to integrate them, mm -hmm. how to bring them into our products and services. And that is not an easy job. Uh, and we talk about integration, we talk about them on two dimensions, you know, first of all, the startups. So if we want to cooperate with a startup, you know, it's very easy to say, wow, they have an amazing business model. But then when you need to link it up um, and then our specifications and, you know, our rules uh, yeah, and everything and, and, and every, laws. Yeah, yeah, right. So that has, we need to find the right balancing point for that. So the, the, on the startup side, the integration is important. But also when we have our projects, you know, making sure you know, if we have a great idea for a great technology and then you look at the roadmap, our technology roadmap in Germany, where can we, uh, where can we plug it? Who do we need to talk to? You know, you need to, there's a lot of elements in the car that you need to consider uh, when you want to establish a new project. So I would say integration is really important. And another challenge I would say, uh, it's a very competitive market. I think it's not just in Israel. The recruitment and the HR world is highly competitive. Mm -hmm. There's so much demand here in Israel and, of course, in other digital pockets in the world for talent. And, uh, yeah, it's a talent market. Um, and we need to give them constantly good challenges to work with. Mm, where do you see the most exciting trends in the Department of Research and Development? Yeah, there's so much. Um, of course, uh, you know, uh, software-defined car is really big, right? How can we make sure that we constantly update the car while uh, it's already on the road? And we moved away from just, you know, building a car, giving it to the customer, to a model where, uh, okay, now you have a car, but that car is a living thing and it <laughs> continues to change. It's not going to be what it was when you just received it. How do we update? And I think the biggest, uh, the more exciting part is, you know, the new business models that are going to arise. And if you look at, you know, the, the smart mobility ecosystem of the future, it will change not just our industry. It will change so many of the industries around us, real estate, hotel business, you know, um, country uh, carriers, uh, airlines, uh, so many industries around us are going to be completely changed and um, yeah, so many and of course we have machine learning and I think my son sent me a really interesting TED talk about the combination between uh, machines and humans mm -hmm. and you know we all of course this is a big debate right what will artificial intelligence do where does it you know end and when do where do the humans come in and I think that TED talk was really good 
about finding the sweet spot. You know, there's places where we will always need people, uh, but we can do much more with machines. You know, processing. You know, the processing power of computers. You know, the cars of the, the autonomous vehicles of tomorrow will, I don't know, process around four terabytes uh, oh, of data okay. a day. Right? A human cannot do that. <laughs> So I think the combination between those are super exciting, and the business models that can be built with these combinations are really exciting. Um, I think I said it a few times before, but I'm really in love with your office. Uh, we are <laughs> in you. the uh, 23rd floor of a new building yeah. in the business district of Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you have an awesome view around the city. Yeah. Um, the entrance looks like a cool cafe. You have a bar, of course, without alcohol. <laughs> uh, you have sitting groups. Um, the style is modern, but still cozy with wood and plants and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, you have yeah. a table soccer, even a hula hoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what were the reasons for creating this special working atmosphere? Yeah. You know, I think um, with all the changes that are going on in the world, and the, I think the working environment becomes so much demanding for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought it needs to feel different. It can't feel like a regular cold office. So we even made sure that the meeting rooms will not look like regular meeting rooms. Um, so we thought, what are the values that we want to bring in? So we wanted to bring values of a home feeling, calmness on the one hand, but collaboration on the other. So it's completely open space. No one has an office, not even me, uh, to really create an open atmosphere so you can feel at home. And we spend at the office most of our uh, awake hours during the day. So it needs to be an environment that embraces us. And you know, with all the hard work that we do and all the many hours that we put, the environments will embrace us. So that's what we try to put here. Mm -hmm. And not only the furnishing, the whole working atmosphere is very informal and cozy. You seem to be very close to your colleagues. Um, yeah. You sit all together during lunch. You organize regularly private events. Um, your meetings are compared to ours. Oh, very loud. Everybody oh, yeah. is talking. Is right, right. <laughs> yeah. Please right. tell us more about working in Israel and, and how it looks here at MBRD uh, besides this spe uh, specific job. Yeah. You know, well, I think I, we spoke about it also earlier. We, it, it didn't start like this. Although, you know, there are some things which are very natural in Israel. Like, mm -hmm. it's a very social place. And it's, uh, Israel is ranked by the UN number 11th in terms of the happiness uh, chart. So, really? Yeah, with all the challenges that we have, it's still, you know, a happy place. People are still are happy. Happy with yeah. everything that goes on around us. Um, I think, by the way, Part of it is uh, really, you know, the, the ability to create and do mm -hmm. something and make an impact and, yeah. and be very expressive. So Israelis do not hold back on anything, right? They would express whatever they are. But there's a strong connection uh, between people and it's very fast. I see it also with my kids now going to a new school. Uh, yeah, so the social element is, is, is out there. But then, you know, when you bring in even a group of people that have not, most of them have not worked together before, it takes time to bond. Mm -hmm. So there are values that are really important important uh, to establish um, and we really uh, put a lot of emphasis of what kind of people we bring here you know uh, although it's so difficult to recruit good people if someone is sitting and being interviewed for a position and they're absolutely excellent from their expertise perspective but their values are not at the right place I don't even blink and I say no mm -hmm. uh, because Uh, I believe the world of today is no longer a world of an individual performing alone. It's a world that can only, or we as a company can only be successful while working as a team. And so uh, for a team, you need to have good people. So that, you know, so we work on that and we talk about the values uh, and about how important it is to co-create and mm -hmm. do things together and provide feedback and when something doesn't work, you know, talk about it so that really we can slowly and slowly create that culture. And now after, yeah, a year, it feels amazing. You know, sometimes, you know, I come to the office and maybe I had a bad evening or I'm not in a good mood and they put me in a good mood, you know, you know, they come in and each one, you know, 
and we help each other and we embrace and that's a gift it's absolutely a gift it is and uh, it really it, it feels like that just for us as visitors yeah. to come yeah. we, we really felt that atmosphere that's great um, once I heard a basketball coach say uh, he only hires players um, with whom he wants to drink a beer or a coffee oh, that's with so nice. is it the that's same with so you nice absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I absolutely. feel like that yeah. Yeah. perfect yeah. Um, so I think this is a good uh, place to start from to the next topic which mm. is leading can I tell you one thing though yeah. before you move on I had my team over for a barbecue in my house. Okay. And then when they left, my son said, Well, Mom, it feels like the team is really strong. And he says, And each one of them, they have their own color. And there are so many colors, but they match so well together. That was so beautiful. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah, How old is your son? Nearly 17. Oh. Yeah, that's really yeah. nice. Yeah. So it has to be true because kids are always true, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they can see clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, what is really unexpected for a manager mm -hmm. um, is that you're not afraid of making mistakes mm -hmm. and you have no big interest in hierarchies. Mm -hmm. So please tell us more about your way of leading. If you ask me in one sentence, how do I lead? I would say the only thing that is important for me at work is to do the right thing and to really drive impact and performance. Uh, and when you think about it in this context, uh, you know, you need feedback, you know? Otherwise, how would you know uh, that you are going in the right direction? And you need, you know, we're human beings. I wish I would never do mistakes in my life, <laughs> yeah. but that's not possible. It's not possible, I can Still tell you. Still not for me anyway. <laughs> So, you know, uh, I just see it as an opportunity to learn. I know it sounds a bit polished, but that's how it is. You know, we learn from our mistakes, but if the only thing that is important is the end goal, then I stand back out on my feet, I learn from the experience and I move on because what's important is that I get there mm -hmm. uh, and that I learn from my mistake. But, you know, m making mistake is just a human thing to do, right? So it's painful, I wouldn't say it's not. Every time I make a mistake, it's super painful <laughs> for me, uh, but I do it. And then, you know, uh, hierarchies, you know, if you look at it exactly the same way, you know, if I'm sitting in a meeting and my boss um, says something and I'm not, I don't buy in. So first of all, if I am not convinced that this is the right direction and I sit down and I say nothing, and at the end we get a decision which I'm not connected to, that's bad for me, right? Because I want to do the right thing. How can I do the right thing if I don't believe in what we're doing, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have to, first of all, have the debate. I wouldn't say that I always, you know, sometimes my, you know, my boss would say something that maybe I would do differently, but I respect and I understand how it was done. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, I have to ask. And then what if my boss, you know, said something and I have a different perspective? I have to voice my opinion. Uh, and I've, what I've learned uh, that if I do it in the right way, and I think everyone can feel when I, when I give feedback that I do it from a good place. I do it because I really want what's best. Yeah, so th this is a good thing for us to learn. How do you give feedback? Maybe we can go better with that. How to give feedback. So I, I remember when I started my days as a manager, I said, oh, I hate hurting people. Yeah, exactly. How do you I feel sit the same. down in front of this person and, and hurt them. But so the approach I took is actually I really want them to be successful. And if it's not you're doing this wrong and I don't want this and if it's all about how can I enable you to become better? Mm -hmm. uh, then it comes from a good place of really building people for their next stage. So you give it in a way and they can feel, they can feel you, they can feel that you have the right incentive in mind and they can accept it. So if you do, you know, if you say it from the right place, then it's, it's accepted. But in general, by the way, I'm a great believer that uh, people are not going to be great if they are better at their weaknesses. They're gonna shine from their strength. Okay. So when you yeah. give feedback, it's much more important to focus on What is your talent? What do you do well? And how can you do it even better? Mm -hmm. And there are some weaknesses. And with the weaknesses, I think our job is to make sure it doesn't hold you back. But usually from a weakness, you don't turn a weakness into strength. True, yeah. So really you can get a little bit better, but... Right. I read somewhere, somewhere that you know, when you work within your area of uh, talent, 
it's like you're driving in a highway. It's fast, it goes, you know, it's, it's seamless, it's, it's easy. Uh, so that's when you're in your area of strength. But when you're in your area of weakness, it's like you're driving in a sideway. There are curves and you have to look and you have to slow down. So you better focus on the highway. So that's what I, you know, for years uh, focus on with, with my team and I teach my managers to focus on the strength of their employees mm -hmm. as well. Imagine I would ask the members of your team, um, mm -hmm. how is Adi as a leader? Yeah. What do you yeah. think, what would they First tell First of all, you should ask them. <laughs> um, so, we humans are full of contradictions, right? Of course we are. <laughs> On one hand, I would say anyone who knows me knows I'm a very caring person and I really care, really truly care about the people that I work with. Mm -hmm. uh, so they would say I would have a big heart. Um, but the other side of it is, because I'm so driven uh, that, you know, when I need the performance, I push. And I always tell them that I don't go to too much detail, but they think that I go into too much detail. Um, and of course the balance has to be right. Yeah. Um, what they would also say, I think they like it that I don't, you know, I don't do politics. Uh, so I, I just focus on, it's so easy to focus on what's right for the company, right? So if you do that, you know, yeah, you, you work with whoever you need to work with and every person has their area of strength, right? Uh, so that's good for them, you know, they, they know that, you know, there's no hidden agendas and so forth, so that's good. And I, I would say the last thing is, uh, you know, values is like the ground I'm standing on and that ground needs to be solid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you, if you live it, not just for yourself, but also make sure that the team around you does the same, then you create safety in your workplace mm -hmm. and uh, consistency. And these are important steps or fundamentals in order to make things work. So, you know, if I have to summarize, I think they think um, pushy, but hopefully they can respect, you know, when we get to the target, they can respect it and they know that I care. Okay. What are your main values? Um, so, integrity is everything, honestly. Um, I also, you know, I don't believe in success on the back of someone else. Mm -hmm. So, and I had a few instances in my career where, you know, I was blamed for something that was done, which I didn't do. So I could say, oh, I didn't do it, someone else did it. Or I could shut up and take it. I tend to shut up and take it because if I say, no, no, it's off my shoulders, but it's on someone else, I don't think that's right where we have to protect each other and we have to take care of each other. So it's a big, and I, I always say to my people as well, you know, you work well in a team. So it's really, team is really important for me. Team, trust, integrity is really, really important for me. And I do not uh, want to see anything else. And I also think that in order to have a healthy and safe environment, these are really important fundamentals. And of course, passion. Passion is really, yeah, yeah very uh, evident, I think, to anyone who speaks with me. So the passion to do great things. Seems like there are a lot of matching points with raising kids, kind of. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah? absolutely, yes. Yeah? Do, you, um, do you compare raising kids and leading a team sometimes with yeah. each other? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, at, at home though, It's not as easy as it is at work. You know? Not that it's always not that it's always easy at work, but it's. I always say. Sometimes I say, you know, there are areas where I fail as a mother, where I do it better at work. But I think on both, you know, kids and, and leadership, you have to set the right targets. And in the world of today, you know, just uh, giving instructions just doesn't work. You have to inspire them. You have to make them believe in the targets and then you have to let them walk their own way. I always tell also my employees at work, and I do it better than you know, with my <laughs> kids, you know, let's agree on the objectives. Once we agree on the objectives, you can choose this path. I would choose a different path because we're different human beings and that's fine. As long as we do it with the right values, it's fine that you do it in your own way, in your own pace, and you know, we have to just accept it. Um, and then, you know, let people learn, people learn mostly and that includes me, consequences. Oh, not, through, not through being told, right? Yeah. Don't preach too much. Just let, uh, let, let, let them fail. I read once in a, you know, a book about uh, kids, you know, 
the smaller the kids, the smaller mistakes, uh, the smaller the prizes, big kids, big mistakes, the bigger the prizes are. So, you know, you, you, that's how you, how you prepare them. And I think as a leader, if I look at myself and I say, wow, you know, I'm so driven to make an impact, to get the final results, what do you do? You're relying on people. You don't do it yourself, right? True. What do you do when they're not getting there? You need to breathe and you need to let them uh, make their own mistakes and learn from them and, and move to the target as long as we agree. And a lot of feedback along the way. That's really important, you know. The more difficult the situation becomes, the more communication is needed. And that's really important, I think. Uh, do you think that the definition of being a good leader has changed in the recent years? Absolutely. I think in the the world before computers or before the computers became what they are today, information was dispersed in a very orderly manner. I'm the manager, I give you my paper, you go, you give the paper to mm -hmm. the other person. It's low, it's structured, it's very well controlled and it's organized. If we look at the world of today, uh, information is everywhere. No one holds all the knowledge and everything keeps on changing. And I can't do it by myself. So a leader of the past could just have all the answers in his head. He could have, this is the strategy, this is what we want to do, and I know what we need to do, because I have it all. Yeah, so just follow me. Yeah. yeah, just follow me and do what I tell you. But today, no one leader has all the answers, and each one of the employees is like a sensor mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And they have different parts of information. They observe trends in a different way and we need those sensors to be active and then be aggregated and make sure that we do the right thing. So I think today a leader has to lead through inspiration. Uh, we have to agree, as I said earlier, what is the purpose? Where are we heading? Um, and then let them be inspired to do their work. And I always say, you know, if we, in the world of today, people just do their job description, we're going to be okay. But will we lead? I'm not sure. Because we can never, if, if, if the employees are not inspired, they can't see what's coming next. And without that, it's really difficult to stay in the lead. So I would say inspiration and leaders today need to be, yeah, provide a lot of feedback, communication, um, help focus, help with the clarity, uh, but really be more of a coach, I would say, and let the people be as good as they can be. So it's very different than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, you also told me earlier this day that um, the management seminars have changed um, mm -hmm. from uh, what they teach you how to lead. Mm -hmm. can, can you repeat yeah. that for me? So, you know, in the past you used to have books and seminars, you know, you need to do this and this and that and then you will become a great leader. And there's this theory about leadership and that theory about leadership. But in the past, I don't know, I think more than five. I don't know, five, eight years, I think the leadership seminars I go to uh, talk a lot about who am I, how much do I understand myself uh, so that I can actually lead from inspiration. People can feel you, right? Uh, and they need to feel the right things. And uh, if we talk about inspiration, then the closer I am to who I am, uh, the better I'll be able to connect. And of course, that's the not the only thing. You need to have the right direction and you need to be able to have the right focus and, and lead the team towards the right uh, uh, you know, um, challenge. But um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot to do with who I am as a person and how can I, what do I do when there is disruption? What do I do when there's a problem? What do I do when the direction I took is not right? You know, if, if as a leader I get very frustrated, then you have an entire team that is frustrated because it goes on. Mm -hmm. How do I control? How do I hold the space? And how do I enable the team to become better? So it's a lot about me. Perfect, <laughs> because now I want to talk about you. <laughs> um, I want to hear a little bit more about your background. Where mm -hmm. are you from? Mm -hmm. How did your career develop? Yeah. yeah, interesting step. So I was born and raised here in Israel. Uh, the English part is really funny. I think when, my, when I was uh, eight years old or something, my mom decided uh, to give me English lessons, although I was one of the best in my class. <laughs> So But you I can always know. get better, right? <laughs> you can always get better, right? And I think uh, at the age of 12, I stopped reading Hebrew books 
and moved only to English. I remember even thinking in English. So then, you know, um, um, I, I um, uh, okay, fin you know, finished high school and, you know, we all go to the army. I was in uh, intelligence in the army. It was a fascinating time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after the army, I, I asked myself, what, what will I study? And I said, maybe something with languages, maybe something with, um, I don't know, working with people. I ended up uh, uh, doing a BA and uh, MBA, business administration. And then I was recruited for the first company, which was a publicly traded computers company. Mm -hmm. And there I was, uh, I, I was asked to set up their uh, financial services division uh, within a computers company. Um, I remember at the time when they wanted to recruit me, they said the job is to really also develop so that it has a sales part and it has a credit part, you know, where we evaluate and that was linking, you know, uh, to, to my, uh, to my uh, degree. And I said, no, I can't do this job because you want me to sell and I will never lie. So I will never manipulate anyone. And I remember the CEO at the time, he said, you know, but you need market, you need to learn how to market yourself. And if you don't believe in the product, don't sell it. I said, okay, if I don't believe in it, I don't sell it, fine. So I, I worked there for, I think, three or four years. And I, um, uh, and, and then, I, then I wanted my first leadership position. When I think about it, I was maybe what? 25? Oh no, you were and like I a was, kid. <laughs> and I was like, I want my first leadership position. And, um, and I tried to find a job and I couldn't. And then one headhunter said, you know, the best thing to do is ask for your first leadership position within the company you work with. Okay. So I went to my boss and I asked him and he said, you know, you grew the business so much, let's make it a legal entity and you run it. And I was really happy. But then, uh, you know, and I think it was like six months later, a headhunter called me and said, Daimler Chrysler at the time is setting up uh, Daimler Financial Services in Israel. Why don't you interview? But I'm a very loyal person. I, I said, no, thank you. I just got promoted on my job. I'm really happy. And the lady was like, are you crazy? This is Daimler. <laughs> and so, okay, uh, I went in and did an uh, interview and then an, another interview. And then uh, at year 2000, I, I joined Daimler as the head of credit at the time as a level four um, of, of the company. I was employee number one at the time uh, when we set up uh, the company. I worked in Israel for nearly seven years. Um, and then uh, I remember after, so I had two kids born. So when my youngest uh, was four months old, we, uh, I got a note from my CEO of the company in Israel you know, the head of credit uh, for the region, Africa and Asia Pacific in Singapore is resigning. That's it. And uh, then, um, you know, my ex told me, we have, you have to apply. I said, you must be crazy. We have two young kids. Who would take me from small Israel? I'm so young. Uh, you have to. And then, I don't know, I had the courage and I applied for the position. Uh, and you know how close I am to home? I prayed yes. they would not get that, yeah. take me. Please I prayed, leave me here. Please leave me here. <laughs> but it didn't work out this way, and they did. So then I moved to Singapore, then as a level three. Um, and I think not long afterwards uh, was the Lehman crisis, and mm -hmm. I was head of credit. So that was a very exciting oh. time. <laughs> and then the region grew so much, and, uh, you know, uh, my colleagues then, you know, uh, the structure changed, and they were... Uh, my counterparts were level twos and they're like, but they're level twos and you're level three. And I mm -hmm. said, that's fine. Which you means know, that they are in a higher position. Yeah, but yeah, we're yeah. doing the same thing. And I said, I didn't prove myself enough yet. Let's wait and see how things develop. And we did. And then uh, after two years where I could look my colleagues in the eyes and say, okay, uh, I do the job at least as good as they do. It also happened. So then I was promoted to level two in Singapore. So overall, I stayed in Singapore for six years. Uh, you know, I covered from a credit perspective 12 markets. So that was really fascinating time. And then I moved to Korea as the CEO of Mercedes-Benz Financial Services in Korea. Mm -hmm. I stayed there for yeah, nearly three years. And then on a leadership seminar, we were talking about you know, how Daimler is changing, how the world is changing, how we need new innovation. And someone there said, oh, uh, Ola Kalenius visited Tel Aviv. They're thinking of doing something there in Israel. No one knew I'm Israeli. And then I came back to Korea. I asked my boss in Singapore. And then, you know, really by accident, I, when I went to interview with Ola, he said, how did you get here? I, 
and I told them the story. I said, it's absolutely by accident. We were looking for Israelis, but we didn't know. Did we have <laughs> we didn't know we have one. Right. <laughs> then I remember, you know, my background is a business background. I don't have a technical background. Mm -hmm. So when I went there, I told him, and also Sajad, I said, you know that I don't have any technical background. So if this is right for me, then I will need to surround myself with very strong technical experts. Mm -hmm. And I said, but please don't take me just because I'm Israeli. Yeah. Uh, if you think I can do the job well, and if you think this all can fit, then I would do it. But not for the wrong reasons, for the right reasons. So then, yeah, I was very lucky and uh, decided to, uh, they decided to take me for the job. And I was really lucky uh, to come back at the end of 2016 to set up uh, this uh, very exciting new endeavor. Yeah, so here you are. Yeah. yeah, Looking at your CV, it seems to me like uh, you don't want to get too comfortable in a position. Yeah. You like starting new things up. You like building new things up. Is that yeah. part of your own mentality? I would say what's part of my... Because I like things when they're working really well. Mm -hmm. And until they work really well, I'm not really happy. Okay. So um, there are people that don't mind that, right? But I do. So I would say about me, it's I think it's... Um, something burning in me always to really make an impact I need to be felt I need my contribution to be felt so when time comes and I know that's what I need to do then then I just do it and whether it's comfortable or not comfortable doesn't matter so mm -hmm. I just take on the challenge it's like a it's like a calling something that I think I need to do mm -hmm. then I do it you're a challenger okay yeah, I yeah. see <laughs> um, so uh, you also spend some time at the military service right. yeah Alles okay? Okay. <laughs> you also spent some time mm -hmm. at the military service. Right. Um, what have you learned back then? Uh, what you can also transfer, transfer to your time mm -hmm. at Daimler right mm -hmm. now? So it's very fascinating to learn, first of all, how you get uh, assessed to the army, right? If you think about it, we, our army is all of us being recruited, right? At the age of 18, men and women get recruited to the army. That's truly interesting. We don't have that. Right. And you're there for, I don't know, men three years, uh, women a little bit less. And think about it, you need, you get raw material with a lot of potential and you need to get a lot out of them in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. Looking at that and looking at the challenges that we have today, right? You know, we're transferring from just, you know, manufacturing cars to being digital uh, and we need a completely new skill set. And we need to completely evolve and we need to do it fast. And we need talents for that. So the army, my son, is going to do his first assessment. Uh, they do it, you know, uh, so he does it now. You know, okay. in grade 11, he's going to go and do a full day assessment, which is, you know, interviews uh, and tests, you know, EQ and IQ tests. Yeah. Well, to what do they want to know? So they really, they're testing for your capabilities uh, mm -hmm. to really see what your mental capabilities, what your emotional capabilities, of course, your physical capabilities to see where sure. to fit you in. Mm -hmm. um, so they really have very interesting tests, mm -hmm. how to understand what is your potential, because you cannot rely on experience. You have to rely on potential. Oh, that's so very that's interesting for yourself as well. Right. Huh? And I think what we do now today, you know, you, you really need talent where you focus more sometimes on their potential than their expertise. And so that's one element that I think we can take. And then the second is then you were there on the job, 18 plus. So I did, okay, I did four months of, of, of training for that specific job that mm -hmm. I did in intelligence. Uh, but then, you know, they, they sit you there in front of a desk and your job is to decide what is relevant information, what is not relevant information. And I actually wrote papers for the chief of staff, you know, position papers. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't get too many instructions. You get your objective, but you really can, f you, you're, you're asked to find your way. And that is amazing. because, And that's something I learned about myself because, you know, You have no past experience and you learn, I learned about myself that I'm a hard worker, that I'm resourceful, that I'm efficient, that I'm fast. These are some of the qualities I learned about myself, but of course I evolved uh, afterwards and I accumulated more, uh, you know, how can I, capabilities to who I am today. Mm -hmm. But you really learn how to operate within an environment which is not fully defined. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we also do at work today? You know, the environment all, you know, if we look at where the, the vehicle will be in the future where smart mobility will be 
not everything is defined and we need to define it. And it's beautiful not to give too many instructions but have a really good view of where we need to get to. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say ah, a lot of that is very relevant here. And then, you know, purpose. You, know? Uh, you, you see it also with youngsters today. It's so amazing when you have when you know that you're doing something that really matters you know? yeah and when you're protecting People your country that, yeah. you do something that really matters and this also then translates to the world you know when we have people coming to interview they want to know can I do something that really matters because the cause is so important so these are some of the things that I really learned from the army that, that are very relevant to the world we live in today mm -hmm. it seems to me like <clears throat> people in Israel They don't just go to work to spend some time there and get some money back, but they really want to have a need. They really want to do something. Absolutely. They want to leave their mark. Yeah. 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 They, they, they go for, yeah, for, for the creation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, we already touched it. You build up a lot of uh, new sections of new departments. Do you have recommends for for people doing the same thing, uh, for people who apply for a new job? So, if, let's say, people want to apply for, for a new job, mm -hmm. um, you know, if people uh, apply at us or, uh, yeah? Or, oh, at, or any, just, at, so at you, you or let, at I any I think section. there are two, two <laughs> questions there, so I'll, ask, I'll answer the first one mm -hmm. first. So, you know, if, if you have a new department, what would be my, uh, what would be my uh, advice? I would say, you have to be very, very open and listen, be able to listen to everyone around you because we don't know everything, especially if you're setting something new. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to really make sure that you have a very good 360, that you have very good sensors on the trends and on the challenges and on the opportunities. Uh, so a lot of listening and openness, and I think we need to be okay with understanding that not everything works the first time and that you need to change things. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things, you know, I like feedback, I like receiving feedback, but I also love being perfect. And I remember <laughs> when we had challenges here, there was a time where I tried to hold this all together. I tried to make it work. I really tried to make it work. But there was a point where I said, I can't do it by myself. Mm -hmm. So I went to Sajad and my colleagues in Germany and I said, I have a problem. Mm -hmm. Sajad is your boss. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they immediately said, you know, there was no judgment whatsoever from them. It was like, of course, we will help you. We will do whatever it takes to help you. So I think being vulnerable and reaching out is also something really important. Mm -hmm. And then I think to your second question, you know, if you come to interview yes. for us, yes. what would be my advice for the people who come to interview. I always say, when they come in the room, I say, listen, uh, the more we get to know the real you and you get to know the real us, the better it is for both of us. It's my job to make sure that I don't take people into a job that they can't accomplish because then it's, it's like crime, you know? Yeah. People <laughs> need to find their area to shine, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so be open, don't be polished. Tell us who you really are. Mm -hmm. And then if it fits, it would fit yeah. for the right reason. Yeah, and if exactly. it doesn't fit, then it's not the right place yeah, for you. Then it's not a match. Right. So the openness is very important. And then I always ask them, what do you really like to do? Because actually, when you ask people what they like to do, it's usually what they're good at. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> True. So, uh, so, so that's a good way of understanding uh, what they're good at, which is what we're looking for, right? Uh, so I would say be open. And another thing I would say, Research, read a lot. Make sure you know where you're getting into, uh, and it shows also that you're ready for the, for, for the new interview and mm -hmm. for the new challenge. And ask questions, you know. Make sure that not just we uh, reduce the unknown, but mm -hmm. you as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm, okay, some really good tips. Mm. <laughs> um, You spent, I think, nine years uh, abroad, mm -hmm. and you said the time in Asia really changed you. Yeah. What do you mm -hmm. mean with that? <laughs> I think uh, when you are working with so many cultures, and in Singapore we cover 12 markets, wow. every culture is so different to the other, uh, you need to really embrace the power of diversity. And uh, 
any country you would go to, they would think they understand everything and that everything is the way they see it. But actually, many times it's about how you translate. There are things that are common across many countries, and, and there are things where it's a bit different. Um, and so you really need to understand uh, the difference and leverage that difference and leverage these different perspectives, different way of communication uh, and different uh, ideas to bring in the right, uh, the right final solution. So I think collaboration, listening and a lot of respect are things that I've learned. There's a lot of yeah, patience, you know, when you work with people with different cult cultures, you're much more patient if you notice that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You judge much more people from your old culture. But if it's another culture, you know that you don't understand everything and you know you need to ask. And isn't that so important for the world of us today, right? It is. We don't know everything. So we need to embrace the diversity, the different perspective. We need to really ask enough questions to make sure we got to the real truth. Uh, what I also read about you is that you always say we have to be up for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? David Ben-Gurion, David ben mm -hmm. he was quoted saying, it's not enough to be up to date. We have to be up to tomorrow. Ah, okay. And when you think about it, many times uh, we identify uh, the next project, but that project is what is the best practice in the market of today? Uh, but the problem is it takes us so many efforts to get to the best practice today that by the time we got there, it's no longer the best practice. Mm -hmm. So we need to think three steps ahead. And with an environment that keeps on changing so much, we need to look ahead and we need to know where are we heading and make sure that the steps we take now will get us to the end target and that we're not taking one step, but that step is not going to take us to where mm -hmm. we need to go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so imagine being you as a student. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give yourself uh, for a future career? Mm. A son of a friend of mine just told me something that he, you know, he's 17 and he said, you know, someone gave me good advice. He said, today you need to learn opposite topics. So if you're a tech guy, then okay, study computer science, but also study psychology because actually you're, you're gonna need both those capabilities in the future. Maybe you don't know where your talent is right now, but at least you know the right topic, so you know how to find yourself within top you know, areas that will make a big impact in the future. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. My son told me that most of the jobs uh, that uh, will exist uh, in the future do not exist today. Uh, oh, okay. So also, you know, everything changes. So the jobs will change. And then when you think about what you study, I think studying is about uh, polishing your skill set and your capabilities. So mm -hmm. I think we need to maybe uh, make sure we don't limit ourselves too fast. Um, but also start to listen from very young age into our strength, the things we like, mm -hmm. uh, and try to develop those. Uh, and I think, um, you know, in Israel, it's very common to, let's say, maybe work when you study sometimes, or, you know, uh, and, and we also have the military experience. Yes. That combination is also very good. I know it doesn't work the same way in any culture, but mm -hmm. um, uh, experiencing while studying is, gives it also a completely different perspective. Definitely. Mm. Uh, and what is the best advice you ever got yourself? Mm. Do you know one? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if I would use one word, it would be believe. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I always believed in what I could become. Mm -hmm. I always had people around me saying, you, you can become a level three, you can become a level two, you can become a CEO, you can do this. Maybe because, yeah, I don't know, I'm very self-critical about myself. I, mm -hmm. So I think uh, the more I believe in myself, the better I will be, actually. And, but for me, it's always very important to keep my humility mm -hmm. uh, and never be arrogant. Because if I'm arrogant, I think I will make tons of mistakes. So <laughs> that, that, you know, uh, stress level is very important. And then I would say... Uh, a great sentence, uh, Richard Howard, uh, one of my previous bosses, told me is, important people say important things. And it took me, I think, two years to really uh, fully understand the wisdom behind the to sentence. To really get it, yeah. Uh, but it's many things, you know. Uh, it means you have the calmness and the belief in yourself and that you're very sharp and you're very focused and you choose the right things. You can see clearly. Um, and you're in control 
and you believe. So it's many, many, many things. It took me a long time to understand that sentence. And it's a really good one. <laughs> Perfect. So one last question. Mm -hmm. um, you are here now since a year, for a uh, year? So I came back end of 2016, so nearly, yeah, two yeah. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you opened up uh, MBRD in Tel Aviv a year ago, yeah. I think, yeah. Approximately, yeah. So um, looking uh, to the next year, uh -huh. what has to happen for you to say in a year that was a good year too? On topics that we are in the lead for, Maybe, to yeah. make real, uh, let's say, draw the picture. So not just, you know, you could say, okay, you do just you develop that, but I want to be able to draw the picture mm -hmm. for that technology to come in and really um, show the impact on the strategic level as well and be recognized for projects that, you know, people will look at those projects and say, yeah, these guys are important for us. They add a lot to us. And I also want that our culture, we will learn uh, the strength of the German culture here, but also will help Leadership 2020 with the Israeli mindset as well. I think that's uh, very important. And from a team perspective, um, strong team. So maintain the, and cherish what we have today and grow it. You know, we need to grow. And when you add in new people, you need to make sure they also fit into that big picture and align. So yeah, continue to grow with a strong team. Hmm. Okay, that, that sounds like really a good goal. <laughs> so thank you, Adi, very much. Um, I loved the conversation with you. You had a lot of interesting stuff to say and I'm very happy that you had us here. Thank you. Thank you. So this was Headlights, our Daimler podcast. And if you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a like or a comment. And of course, we hope you guys join us in our next chat as well when we talk with Claire Jones in two weeks. She is the CCO of Worth3Words, a former startup where Daimler invests. And if you want to get to know more about the interesting jobs we offer at Daimler, please go to daimler.com slash career.